Thank you, Eddie. And if you'd like to follow in the Church Bibles, you'll find it on page 988. 988, or alternatively, hopefully you may be able to follow it on the screen. We're reading Matthew chapter 21, reading from verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. And a special good morning to those of you who may be watching at home. Uh, Welcome to St. John's this morning. I invite you to take a moment with me to uh, just pray as we come to this part of the service. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our title for this morning is The King Comes. The King Comes. It's a pretty well-known story. I expect most of us know it, although some who may be uh, visiting us today or may be watching online for the first time may not know the story so well. It's one of those stories that comes up in the church calendar every year, like Christmas and Easter, um, Jesus coming into Jerusalem just before his passion and his death. So let's just run over a quick outline. We've had most of it in the reading. Jesus comes towards Jerusalem. He's been coming for some time. He's been saying to his disciples, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And he reaches the outskirts of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives and approaches a village called Bethphage, which is one of the local villages on uh, just outside Jerusalem. Where has he come from? Well, if you turn back one page and look at the end of the previous chapter, you'll discover that Jesus has just come from Jericho. 
He's been passing through Jericho, and as he passed through Jericho, he met a blind man called Bartimaeus, and he healed Bartimaeus of his, uh, his blindness, because Bartimaeus called out to him, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me, and Jesus healed him. So we might think, are the crowds, the people, already excited? Well, I think they probably were, because they've just seen a relatively great miracle. But now Jesus comes to this village outside Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and he sends two disciples on ahead of him into the village to acquire the loan of a donkey and the donkey's colt. It seems probable, anyway, that maybe the owners of the donkey and its uh, foal knew about Jesus, they knew who the Lord was, because uh, doubtless they would have uh, queried the disciples coming and untying it and taking it away, but when they do, uh, they say to them, the Lord needs him, needs them, and they let them go. Uh, Perhaps a different reaction would be had if somebody's just unlocking my car and driving it off, and what are you doing? Oh, the Lord needs it, well, maybe my reaction would have been a slightly different one. But they take the donkey and they go back outside the village to where Jesus is waiting and they place some of their cloaks on the animals and Jesus gets on and begins to ride into uh, the village and ultimately into Jerusalem. And if they weren't excited already, now the disciples and the followers who are following Jesus really are excited because they begin to cry out, Hosanna! which means, Lord, save us. It also become a kind of cry of praise, but basically it means, Lord, save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do these people recognize who Jesus is? Well, probably they do. Do they recognize him on the basis of the fact that he's riding a donkey? Well, maybe they do. You see, they would have been to Bet Midrash, part of the Jewish school system at the time, where they would have learned the Old Testament, as we call it, the Jewish scriptures, and they may have known the prophecy that their king would come to them riding on a donkey. But they would have been people who knew Jesus anyway. Jesus had already spent three years preaching and teaching, doing miracles, he's uh, healed a blind man just the day before, or maybe earlier that day. He's fed 5,000 people. He's healed a man who's lowered through the roof. He's taught them all sorts of things. They've heard his teaching, and they think he's wonderful. So these people probably recognize who Jesus is. And in any case, they start saying, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, perhaps partly prompted by Bartimaeus himself, who has recently called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus called him the son of David. And he has probably been following along, telling people that Jesus just healed me. Jesus gave me back my sight. So here they are coming towards Jerusalem, and they've just come from Jericho. Jericho, incidentally, was known as the city of palms the city of palms. So perhaps there has been some palm waving going on already since they left there and the crowds were excited. 
But they come now and they lay their cloaks in the road and they cut down branches for the trees and they praise Jesus as he heads towards Jerusalem. There's the story as we've had it read. There's the story as we know it and love it. Jesus enters Jerusalem. And Matthew says quite an interesting thing about it. He says, verse 4, if you've still got your Bible open and you're looking at it, he says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And Matthew goes on to quote the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, if you'd like to look it up. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why does Matthew say that? Well, first of all, he says it because he believes it to be true. Matthew is suggesting that Jesus is doing something which has its roots back in the Old Testament, as we call it, back in the Jewish scriptures. If this was a single event, a single comment, it would be interesting in itself. But it's not a single comment. It's not difficult to see if you read the the Bible, if you read Matthew's Gospel particularly, and the other Gospels alongside it, it's not difficult to see that Matthew quotes or alludes to himself or quotes other people quoting and alluding to the Jewish Scriptures pretty much more often than the other three Gospels put together. Almost every page, every chapter of Matthew's Gospel has some allusion, some reference back to the Jewish Scriptures. Why is Matthew doing that? Well, I don't know what you think about the Bible, but many of us think that the Bible was written to us. And we read it because it has a relevance to teach us, things to say to us about who God is, who Jesus is, and how we live and we should conduct ourselves. But actually, all the Bible writers would have had an original audience of their own in mind. They were writing to somebody at the time, or for somebody's benefit at the time. I don't suppose Matthew ever thought, well, I'll just write this down, and in a couple of thousand years, in Blackheath in London, somebody will read it and think it's relevant. No, he was writing to a target audience of his own. And when we think about it, it's generally accepted that Matthew is writing to Jewish people. So Matthew, a Jew himself, writes to Jews to tell them that the Jew Jesus is the promised Jewish Messiah who was described and promised in the Jewish scriptures. Matthew the Jew writes to Jews about Jewish Jesus that he is the Jewish Messiah described and promised in the Jewish scriptures. Matthew roots his account of Jesus' life and ministry in the Jewish scriptures that were being read at the time. Let me give you a couple of examples. In chapter 1, Matthew says, it was to fulfill what was said by the prophet that a virgin will conceive and bear a child. You'll remember that from not too long ago. It's one of our Christmas readings, one of our Christmas stories. In the same story, Matthew records that 
the uh, Herod was called the Jewish chief priests and teachers of the law in because he'd got a question about the wise men who'd come, said, where's the Messiah going to be born? And the chief priests say to him, he will be born in Bethlehem in Judea because that's what the prophet Micah said. Rush on a few years and we get John the Baptist turning up and he's baptizing people in the wilderness, much like we've done today. And he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40. In Matthew chapter 13, Matthew says, it came to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, that he will come and he will speak in parables, explaining why Jesus spoke in parables, because it was recorded in Psalm 78 that one would come who would speak in parables. And later still, we haven't quite got there yet, but we'll get there over the next few days, Matthew records that it was to fulfill what was said by the prophet, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah chapter 11. We could go on. Time and time again, Matthew records Jesus himself referring back to the Jewish scriptures. Jesus repeatedly says to people, have you not read? Have you not read what David did when he entered the temple and took the bread that he wasn't supposed to eat? Have you not read that the priests desecrate the Sabbath and yet they're not guilty? Have you not read, when asked a question about marriage, he says, have you not read that in the beginning God made them male and female? Have you not read that out of the lips of children I will bring forth perfect praise? Have you not read that the stone that the builders rejected has become the most important one of all? And when asked about the resurrection, which we'll come to over the next few days as we look at the Easter story, Jesus says, have you not read that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but of the God of the living. Jesus repeatedly refers people back to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus refers to Noah and Moses and Jonah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, amongst others. If you read your Bible carefully and look at the cross-references, you'll find that Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy, significantly often that some people think it's his favorite book in the Bible. Actually, he quotes from Psalms more often than Deuteronomy, but he loves his book. He'll quote from Psalms in a few days' time when he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Coming to the teachers of the law, he said, you study the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and yet it's these scriptures that speak of me, Jesus. And when we get to thinking about the resurrection in a day or two, Jesus on the Emmaus Road, he's walking along the road with two disciples who are disillusioned, and yet Jesus takes them back to Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and teaches them, shows them all the things that tell them about himself. What is Jesus doing? 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, if you want to look it up later. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Some people were querying the things that Jesus was saying and wondering whether he was doing away with it and bringing a completely new teaching. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you that until heaven and earth disappear, not the least letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if sometimes we think that Jesus fulfilled what the prophets said about him simply because he performs a comparatively small number of specific actions, like coming into Jerusalem on a donkey or being born in Bethlehem. But Jesus is referring, when he says this, to the law. I wonder if we ignore that Jesus is fulfilling the law. Or perhaps we assume that because Jesus fulfilled it, somehow we don't have to. And But wouldn't that be abolishing it for us, if not for himself? Jesus said he has not come to abolish and that it would disappear but rather that it would not disappear and that it should be practiced. What did he mean by that? You'll be aware that Jesus is often called rabbi, teacher. There wasn't a specific role of rabbi until after Jerusalem was destroyed. But there were teachers around and they were called rabbi. And what does it mean... What did it mean then and what does it mean now for a Jewish rabbi to fulfill Torah, the Old Testament, or to abolish Torah? Well, it comes in two parts. The first part is interpreting the law correctly. In other words, the rabbi had to intellectually understand what the law was about, to know what it really meant, and then to teach his students accordingly. But more than that, it meant that having understood the law, he, the rabbi, would then live it out in his own life. He would become himself an example of his own teaching. If a rabbi interpreted the law incorrectly, he was said to abolish it because he's setting up something new against what it really was. If he interpreted the law correctly, but did not live it out in his life, he was also abolishing it. To fulfill the law, a rabbi had to interpret it correctly and live it out. So Jesus said, I have come to fulfill it. I've not come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. I will explain it to you, what it really means. Which is why, incidentally, he very often confronted the teachers of the law when they got it wrong. And I will live it out. I will show it to you in my life. Which is why Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But he comes into Jerusalem as king 
guiding us through what we've been looking at over recent weeks. If you're a visitor here, you won't have seen this. But we've been looking at the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom. Here is the king coming, having explained what the kingdom is like. You remember the parable of the wheat and the weeds? Are we those who are the wheat that the king plants? Or are we the weeds that the enemy has planted? Jesus says that the kingdom starts off small, like a seed sown in the ground that then grows into a big tree. Are we, when it comes to recognizing Jesus as king, are we those who are nesting in the branches of this growing kingdom? Or are we those who ignore it? He talks about, Jesus told a parable about yeast permeating the dough as it's being needed. Are we part of the yeast? Has the kingdom of heaven permeated our lives and become a part of us that's inseparable from the rest? He talks about treasure in a field. Have we found the treasure and found it sufficiently valuable that we buy into that kingdom? Or are we ignoring it and staying outside? Jesus told a parable about a net catching all kinds of fish that then gets sorted out. Are we going to be amongst the good fish or are we amongst the fish that's thrown away? And then there's that famous parable about the seed sown in the field that goes into different kinds of soil. Are we, have we received the seed of the kingdom into our lives and grown such that we are now amongst those who are producing good fruit or are we amongst those that are dying amongst the stones and the weeds? And will we, in our turn, become sowers ourselves to plant that seed into other people's lives? Jesus has explained what the kingdom is like, but now he comes as the king himself. Many of us perhaps don't think about kingship very often. We'll do it this year because this is the anniversary of our queen's enthronement and she's been on the throne for a long time and we will celebrate that in our various ways. But do we recognize too that Jesus is king? Jesus is the king who rules over everything, as one of our songs says. It's a well-known story that tells us who Jesus really is. He interprets the scripture correctly. Yes, Jesus is the promised king who was promised to come. Yes, Jesus is the promised son of David. Yes, he is the one who has come to save, and he will do that by dying on the cross as we will celebrate and think about over the next few days. But yes, Jesus is not the king who comes mightily, but he comes humbly. He comes gently. He comes, he's the peaceful king, the merciful king, the one who has come to serve. And as we shall see, yes, Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah, who, as Paul tells us, died according to the scriptures, and rose again, according to the scriptures. May we 
be those today who understand our teachers, our teachers' interpretation, perhaps by being those who do or begin to do reading the scriptures for ourselves. Can I recommend to you that you get into reading the gospel? Perhaps start with Matthew or John and see who this Jesus really is if you don't know him. And not only find out who he is, intellectually think it in our heads, but are we those who are going to follow in his footsteps by following his commandments? We said in part of our confession earlier that we need to be those who live a life of repentance and faith, as the girls were saying that they are going to do through their baptism. Are we going to be those who walk humbly with our God and acknowledge him as our king? Can we, like the people on that day outside Jerusalem, be those who say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May it be so. Amen.